Hi, Hannah. Hey, Anna. Hey, so we've been talking about our identities as writers for a while now. I think it's time to do our podcast. That's a great idea, but what should we call it? Hmm. How about how about a play on the pen is mightier than the sword? Like the pen is that, that's it. The pen is. The pen is so many things. It's scary, it's honest, it's funny, and the pen lets us explore what it means to be a work in progress. <laughs> and hey, Hana, we are a work in progress. You said it. Let's get started. Okay. Um, uh, how are you doing this fine afternoon slash morning? <laughs> I'm well. I am um, currently lying in my king-size bed with my um, fuzzy red bathrobe because I woke up about, well, that's a lie. I woke up about an hour ago when my kid crawled into bed with me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I've been dozing um, and just got out of bed about... 10 15 minutes ago <laughs> and now i'm back in bed um what eight after eight o'clock there on a sunday i can't believe you haven't been up in the last however many hours i know it's ridiculous <laughs> um wow. how was how was your day so far it's been good i just got off the weekly video chat with my family and I'm in the middle of baking some or I guess I'm not baking it but I'm letting the dough rise for some Rosh Hashanah oh yes and happy happy all of those holidays it's the is it the new year yeah so if you want you can say Shana Tova which means um basically like happy or good year Shana Tova. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are you feeling rejoiceful of this new year or how, how, how is this hitting you this, this time around? You know, I think with most things like, um, oh, sorry, let me just get Ivy, Ivy's food bowl so she's not making sounds. Oh, she's done. Okay. <laughs> Um, with most things that are, you know, like anniversary recognition, so whether it's birthdays or kind of regular New Year's or Jewish New Year, it's always a little existential for me. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Thinking about, you know, have I been a good person over the last year? What are the developments in my life over the last year and in the world? And yeah, this year is um, uh, extraordinary in many ways. Yes. Um, but it's always a little bit, it's not always the most comfortable, even in a sort of quote unquote normal year, it's not always the most comfortable process. And I will. Oh, okay. No, yeah. oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I wanted to, um, just read this to you. I, I thought it might be apropos, especially with the subject that we were just on. Um, I follow a woman named Chani Nicholas and she's mm-hmm. a, she does astrology and readings and things, and she has a pretty big following. Um, and she was she wrote a post about um, RBG, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and her recent passing. Um, 
And she pulled two quotes from two different people. The first is, according to Jewish tradition, a person who dies on Rosh Hashanah, which began tonight, is a tzaddik, tzaddik, a person of great righteousness. Uh, and this is quoted by Ruth Franklin. And then the second quote is, as Jewish teaching says, those who die just before the Jewish New Year are the ones God has held back until the last moment because they were needed most and were the most righteous. And that was a quote from Nina Totenberg. Who I, incidentally was really good friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, I just read about that. And it's really, that's really fascinating to me. So I just, th those, those two quotes really hit me because A, I don't know much about Rosh Hashanah. I know I've probably celebrated it with you in the past um, in one form or another, but um, just hearing about that, uh, tying it to her death was really profound for me. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, it's interesting kind of seeing the various responses to her passing. And obviously she, at any point would have been, you know, her, um, her death would always be kind of like something that leaves a mark on society, but obviously things are really heightened now and there people feel like there's a lot more pressure writing on it, understandably. Um, but it's been kind of nice with the coinciding time, you know, her yeah. and, and the new year and everything um, to have an opportunity from a non-proselytizing perspective because <laughs> um, to, yeah, like kind of give a little bit of insight into what's going on in our world in any given year and um, some of those beliefs. So thanks. Yeah, no, no, you're welcome. <laughs> Um, I did want to say before we get it, kind of get into the meat of our stuff, I have a couple ideas for myself of writing Great. for um, either the next time or upcoming times. I have two different ideas, so don't let me forget those. Uh, wonderful. I, I am glad that you do. That's, that makes me very excited. Great. Um, okay, so I think you started last time. Yeah, I think I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then I start this time. Yes. Um, what would you like to, or what format would you like it to take this time? Um, it, probably, I, I, I think I'd like you to read an excerpt. I think that's kind of nice if you feel comfortable with that. Um, as, as your piece is a little bit longer, um, it might be nice just to have a little, little piece taken out. And let me think about what... Um, so in her college student duties, just sort of thinking about what that balance of family and career and other life will look like for her and the fact that she really is still figuring that out. Thank you. Bethany reads through her lecture notes from this term statistics class, dutifully writing down key concepts on the note card she's allowed to take into the midterm. If only all life processes were as easy as this, learning the material, studying it, and demonstrating that she understands it with a simple grade at the end of the semester to prove that she's mastered the topic. No one is pressuring her to take this particular psychology course or write her final paper on that particular subject matter. And most importantly, if she signs up for a course that is not what she expected or just doesn't work for her, she can always drop it. Nothing about children is that cut and dried and reversible. Bethany hears the car pull into the driveway and starts putting her schoolwork away in her bag. 
When the Kamofskis come in, she'll ask them what they ordered for dinner and which movie they ended up seeing at the theater. They'll start getting ready for bed and Paul will carry Eleanor back to her bed while Marion rubs her swollen feet. Bethany will head back to her dorm room, a little sad to say goodbye temporarily to such a heartwarming and cozy scene, but also happy to return to her own sanctuary with no dried food crusting on her desk or stuffed animals tripping her. No small scared voice in the middle of the night waking her up with stories of a nightmare. No tiny body crawling into bed with her. Is that what she wants? The answer remains unclear. Great, thank you. I um, I, I really enjoyed this piece. It, it was, it's it, obviously I we've only read a few of each other's work, but this is this is drastically different um, than than what I have seen you write. And I'm I I'm not surprised, but I really enjoy seeing this these these fictional stories kind of pull out of you and um, and how detailed you did get with this it, I mean it like like you said your writing prompt was about um, really getting more detail into a story and and you really you really did that um, with this particular story so I'm, I'm curious as to how long did it take you to come up with with the idea in your head and then sit down and start writing like the first sentence so um, I kind of, you know, stepping back a couple steps, I started taking um, a German class. I had been taking German, given that I currently live in Germany, um, through May and then stopped because I'd really reached kind of the, the end point of, of kind of those introductory German classes. And in the intervening few months, my German has become terrible. So... <laughs> In this um, once a week evening class, and I had my first one this last Wednesday. All of that is to say that uh, at the end of the evening, I walked over to the train station and saw that I had an hour and 15 minute wait until the next train. Um, my phone was dead, so that tried and true method of distraction was not available. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really have anything like I did a little bit of reading for my class but then I still had like at least half an hour maybe 45 minutes to just kind of fill the time in my head with something so I started walking up and down the train platform and I thought you know I really should spend this time thinking about the writing prompt um, and I all of a sudden the first line of what I ended up writing popped into my head sort of the first two lines Mm. This little girl, um, you know, is in bed. The babysitter starts to read. Once upon a time, there was a little girl, and then she's immediately interrupted by the little girl saying, "No, I don't want to read that one. I want you to read a different one." Um, so I didn't really put too much thought into why that popped into my head, but that was a great jumping-off point for, well, why are they in this situation? Why is she, you know, reading to this little girl? What's their relationship to each other? Um, and then it kind of went from there where I've had um, conversations with a lot of, women, not a lot of women, but I've had frequent conversations over the last few years, given that we're all in, you know, roughly our 30s, maybe late 20s, early 40s, for most of the women that I see, um, questions about family, having children, 
balancing children and career, those are very much top of mind for a lot of folks. And so it kind of easily tied together with this opening to um, create for me a scene where this girl who is sort of a composite of stories of mine, stories of friends, um, is trying to figure that out for herself, but you know, 15 years younger than I am right now. So I can look back with some experience and hindsight and perspective and then write about what I might have perceived myself to be thinking were I in her position. Wow, that's that's I love that. I can just see you pacing on were you taking a train, did you say? Yeah, so I take on the my platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I take my classes in a town uh, or a city about 25 minutes away by train. So I see waiting to catch the train back to my little village. Um, and I'm sorry, did you I don't know if you mentioned this. Did you say you you just thought up of the piece while you were waiting there or did you start writing it down while you were at the platform? So I, I hate writing by hand, so I just uh -huh. it. And that was a little bit, um, I don't know, worrisome, because I feel like sometimes when I'm thinking about things, I'll really think them through, you know, maybe if I'm thinking about writing a, uh, an article on a particular topic, and if I like come up with individual lines, then I can never, when I later on am able to type them out, capture the same language, and it's really frustrating. Mm. I try not to think about like particular ways to write things, but really just kind of the vague skeletal outline of who this girl is, what, you know, the topics that she's thinking about, but not other than the opening two lines, not any specific text that I would write. So I, I waited until I could write that on a computer. Nice. So you just, you just stuffed that away into your memory banks to pull out later. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, how soon after you you know caught your train and got home um when you had the seed of an idea how, how soon did you actually sit down and start writing it uh, about a day later so you know that evening was i didn't get home until almost midnight so i didn't really want to start it right away um and i knew i kind of had these kernels of of a thought or like the the main points of the outline pretty well down, so I wasn't worried about forgetting any of it. Um, so then, yeah, started writing it the next day and then finished it up the following day. Nice. So, so tell me about the writing process itself when you sat down to write it. Like, was that easy? Did it just start flowing in, or was it halty? Like, what what was that like for you? Kind of both. Um, it was easy in that I, you know, when I was coming up with the story, like I said, I was kind of thinking of some of my own experiences and some friends' experiences. So I feel like that allowed a lot of it to flow really well because I already had sort of like the source material to draw on. Um, but as you pointed out, it is a little long. And so it was, um, you know, I kind of wrote about maybe a half of it um, in one day and then was sort of like, Ugh, I know I have more to write, but, and I need to like bring it to resolution, but I just can't keep writing it today. So it was a little too much for me to do all in one sitting, but in each of the sittings, it wasn't, I definitely didn't feel like writer's block or anything. Nice. What did you find that was the most challenging part of this piece? Um, I think some of the details. So I was trying to keep in mind, you know, your request for specificity. Um, 
So trying to make sure that the stuff that I was writing when it was really specific was still relatively accurate. Um, so like, you know, I, I mentioned something about like a potential Pavlovian response. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I said, she like wonders if there's like a Pavlovian response given that this little girl falls asleep at the same time in the story every time. And then I was like, and so then I started to write, she makes a mental note to bring the topic up in her. And I knew it needed to be some sort of like psychology class. Mm. I was like, what would be like a reasonable and could be an accurate title for a class where she would bring up a potential Pavlovian response. I don't even know if history of behavior therapy is a psychology class, never having majored in psychology myself, but it sounded reasonable. Yes. <laughs> Some of those moments, I'm not used to like stopping mid writing and mm. like confirming that what I'm writing is accurate or as accurate as it needs to be in a fiction piece. And do you bother researching or do you just plow through? Uh, kind of a combination. Research has never been my strong suit. I like to just kind of write in the flow. Um, but I did notice I did more kind of like um, going back and changing, you know, one or two words or facts here and there just to make it, uh, to me, seem more plausible. Yeah, that was a question I had. So did you go back over it and edit it? Not once I'd finished, but as I was writing it, you know, something would come up in a paragraph and I'd kind of look back at what I was, had already written and I would change things here or there, but I didn't go back and do like the full edit of it. And did you try the reading out loud at all? No, darn it, I forgot. <laughs> I'll have to make a note I'll have to write down read it out loud <laughs> um, no I did have to say I chuckled quite a bit when I read the sentence there's no questioning women of childbearing age club at her university <laughs> wouldn't it be great if there were though like if class it seems like there should be <laughs> yeah <laughs> in fact there should be all sorts of questioning blank clubs at universities. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> um, so now that you've written this piece and, and these characters have come out and this is now in existence in this world, how, how, do, how does it sit with you? How do you feel about it personally? To be honest, kind of similar to last week's prompt, you know, I feel like I, I don't necessarily leave a whole lot like inside when I write these pieces, I feel like I kind of look at them as little capsules. So like I've gotten to the resolution that I wanted, which is that she doesn't know if she wants kids or not, like she's still questioning. Um, so I don't, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty satisfied with how I wrapped things up and um, maybe like the very, very, very short story is my forte. <laughs> yeah are you are you liking the format um, I do it's yeah it's enjoyable because it's it gives you more space to explore a story than just writing like a page or something but um the idea of writing like chapters and chapters is just really intimidating and I don't know I'm not a person who's great with like long-term attention to things I get distracted and bored <laughs> so I feel like it's nice to be like okay I'm done with this on to the next topic nice so you found a, a at least a comfortable niche for the moment <laughs> exactly Good. 
Good. Is there anything else you want to comment or say about um, this piece right now? Um, just trying to look. I mean, for you, like, especially as a mom, um, how did my, like, my musings on being a witness to but not yet a participant in motherhood sit with you? Yeah, I felt like you hit it pretty well. Like obviously I've been in, in both situations myself. So I am a mother. I have a almost six year old uh, a boy named Jasper. And I have also been around a lot of children. I've never nannied, but I've taught children. I've had, you know, people close to me. I've had cousins who've had kids, you know, things like that. So um, it, it, it was fun hearing it from your perspective, almost like an auntie where, you know, you, you, your character anyway is incredibly involved with this family and did you did you nanny ever uh yeah kind of i was um not a formal au pair but i took the place of an au pair when i was in france and then yes like as a kid definitely did the like mother's helper or regular babysitter gigs for quite some time i recall when you were in france like that that's what was coming to me is like but didn't she do this when she was in france so <laughs> Yep. Okay, good. So that my memory served me. Um, and I, it seemed like when I was reading it with that faint memory of you telling me that at one point that you pulled a lot of that experience out for this. Is that, I mean, do you think it's fair? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't entirely, you know, a recreation, not just because obviously it doesn't take place in a different country. But um, I think, you know, with that situation, it was really in some ways difficult because I wasn't that integrated into the family in a way mm -hmm. um, as sort of like a last minute replacement for an au pair who had to go home unexpectedly. I see. Um, I see. With this one, it was, you know, in a way I was, so I have a, a friend who was, was a nanny during her undergrad. So I kind of was drawing on some of what I remember her telling me about that experience being like, and then, um, my brother and sister-in-law also actually have au pairs that they um, uh, have had for the last several years with my nieces. So kind of drawing on that more recent experience and how well they are really integrated. Um, you know, they, in that case, they actually live with the family, whereas I never live with the family. Um, so yeah, again, it's kind of a composite of several different experiences. I see. Yeah, I can, I can definitely tell that. And yeah, I feel like it, 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 it was, it was accurate as much as I could tell not being a nanny or not really having that particular experience, but, but seeing this character, Bethany, um, be more into, you know, integral, into, integ what's the word? Integral, integrated, integrated, I guess, um, into this family so much that like, like this, this kid that she nannies it is almost as if it's she's her daughter in in some ways, just because of all the time she spends with her. Um, but also, like the the parents, I, I I liked how you described how Bethany thought about the parents. It was like they were there and involved, but you can tell that she never really spent time with them because she was there to be with the kid, and so the parents were sort of like. On, on the periphery of, of really the, the more potent question of, 
you know, does she want to have her own full-time child with this experience with, with this kid that is kind of like her own daughter? Um, all the while the parents are just kind of like orbiting around it as, as the holders of this family yet only peripherally involved just because they have these lives outside of the house and outside of this child. And so that was really fascinating to, to observe Bethany's perception of the parents and her role in this family. Well, and it was interesting, you know, cause I, I, um, I talk about, and they are, you know, obviously a straight couple. And one of the questions that I had at, at one point was, do I want to keep them a, a heterosexual, hetero, in some ways, heteronormative couple? Mm. And then I thought, you know, that, that actually illustrates, I think, one of the important points, which is that you have, in, the, in this case, two professors who are, you know, working at a university, which is not a job that's known for great work-life balance. Um, and I liked that because it's a straight couple, I'm able to, you know, I, I said like, well, Paul, the husband has done an admirable job of shouldering his share of parenting. Um, Bethany never sees him confronted by his inability to flawlessly have it all. And then talk about, you know, the sacrifices that Marion, the wife and mom has had to make in her tenured track career. So mm. it was important to me, you know, after kind of thinking about it after a little while, to not only keep that dynamic, but make it imperfect because, yeah, you hear about these like super dads who, you know, are doing it all and are, you know, wonderfully supportive of their partners and blah, blah, blah. But the fact is there are a lot of guys out there who, you know, are, we would consider like good parents and whatnot, but still the overwhelming majority of care falls to the mother in part because of society, but also because you have to really fight kind of hard against those, um, those gendered stereotypes if you don't want to reproduce that dynamic. And when you have a full-time job and a spouse who works full-time and a kid, like it's hard to wage war against gender constructs uh, <laughs> and your sanity at the same time. Yeah, I, I I really feel that just being in in you know, in, a, in a family environment myself with a child and now working full time, and realizing I don't I can't really be as part of my child's life, um, especially with the fact that uh, because of being in the COVID age, um, Jasper actually can't go to school um, and he starts kindergarten this year, and so everyone else in my life, you know, his grandparents and things like that has to step in and um, take over his education, you know, his education instead of the school necessarily. And um, my work-life balance has suddenly shifted because for the first five years of his life, I was, I was home with him. I was only working part-time and I was working at home mostly. And um, so seeing my myself move to a, a full-time career um, outside of the house with the child has been an interesting um, challenge and experiment in in not only understanding how to balance my own work life versus family life versus child life, but also have a better appreciation for basically everybody else <laughs> who has children um, in the world, at least in our country, um, how 
appreciation for uh, for all these these folks who who have to learn how to balance this in a good way and most of the time it isn't balanced in a good way because of how much we have to work in our society mm-hmm. outside and, the home you know in in this case so you know the the main or the protagonist bethany you know she's witnessing this i think it's helpful for her like to see the the high points and the low points the challenges and the rewards of this to have a very realistic um set of expectations as she goes forward with making the decision, but also, you know, most people in the U.S. with kids can't afford a nanny. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of like, you know, you're talking about you, you have this community of grandparents who can step in, but, you know, if you don't have that or, um, or that's not enough or, you know, what have you, most people aren't able to have it all because having it all means you have to have money to have it all. And yeah, these, these folks in this, in this story that I wrote are pretty privileged and, you know, I don't really go into whether they're aware of that or whatnot, but um, I think there is even more pressure, especially on women to have it all without a lot of support often. Correct. Yes. Especially the single mothers, especially um, people who have less privilege, uh, people who are in, um, you know, lower classes and can't make as much. And yet they're working 40 plus hours a week. Uh, I I really think about those folks who are struggling right now who, um, you know, has less privilege than I do. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that they have no other choice but to, 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 focus on work life even even if they wanted to be home more which i would assume many people do um but i i appreciate the way that you looked at this subject with your protagonist being a young woman at a university um kind of peeking into this quote unquote normal life of a modern day family um, an upper class modern day family of like, is that, is this what I, is this what I want? <laughs> is, you know, like, is this, is this all there is? Yeah. Yeah. So well, I appreciate that perspective. Mm-hmm. Next week, Anna writes a piece that explores her identity as an artist and allows her to tap into her emotions. This podcast has been another episode of The Pen Is, with your hosts Anna Bradley and Hannah Binder, and technical support provided by Julia Einersen. Thanks, as always, for spending some time with us as we learn about ourselves as writers and humans. You can find new episodes weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. We love hearing from others about their own experiences with writing. Please feel free to email us at annahannapodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, keep that pen busy. <laughs>